The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, good morning, everyone, if you're on the West Coast, and good afternoon, everyone, if you're on the East Coast. I'm Patricia Raskin, and I'm the host of Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that shows you how to turn your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and how to make your dreams come true. And today we have someone who really is showing the world how we can transform war into peace. I know that sounds a little Pollyanna, but there are people really working on this and showing us proof that it is possible. And our guest today is Paul Chappelle. He graduated from West Point in 2002. He served in the Army for seven years and was deployed to Baghdad in 2006. He left active duty in November of 2009 as a captain. He's the author of Will War Ever End? A Soldier's Vision of Peace for the 21st Century. And the next book he wrote is The End of War, How Waging Peace Can Save Our Humanity, Our Planet, and Our Future. He currently serves as a Peace Leadership Director for the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation and speaks throughout the country. Welcome, Paul. Well, thank you for having me, Patricia. I really appreciate it. And is it Chappelle? Did I say that correctly? Yeah, it's, it's Chappelle. Okay, good. All right. You know, um, it, it's a hard concept to grasp, Paul. It really is because that's all we've ever heard of is about war in every generation. So I guess the question is, um, you know, when you, well, we'll start at the beginning. What makes war propaganda so dangerous? Because it's half truth. And is it war propaganda? How do we know what's truth and what isn't? Yeah, I think what makes war propaganda so dangerous is it's largely based on half-truth, where there's an element of truth and an element of deception. And a lot of people have a hard time distinguishing the two. And I think that if you look throughout human history, war propaganda works the same way in every time period in every culture. War propaganda always is about fighting for self-defense, fighting for ideals, fighting whether the ideals are liberty or freedom or protecting your way of life or honor, or you're trying to liberate people. And this goes all the way back throughout history. I mean, if you look at the first empire in history, the Persian Empire under Cyrus the Great, if you look at Alexander the Great, if you look at the Romans, the Greeks, the European colonial powers, they never tell their people that they're fighting for money or gold or oil. It's always about noble ideals or self-defense or liberating people. Right. And the reality is much different, but the war propaganda taps into our good instincts, our good human instincts, love, love of freedom, love of people, love of family. And then the war propaganda also has to betray the other side as not human. So, and why is that? 
I mean, it, it, the whole concept that you discussed, it was fascinating to me, is that there are people that are really studying peace in terms of what can we do to create peace. Right. Uh, where, where is the, I guess, where's the research? Because it's not, that's not what we see. Yeah, I think that to study peace, you really have to study war. Because if a doctor is going to promote health, he has to really study illness and disease and all these different terrible mm-hmm. things. I mean, that's how a doctor promotes causes, health, right. studying illness. And I think that to study peace, you really have to study war. And I think a lot of peace activists don't have that view. A lot of peace activists try to ignore the problem of war. They study peace, but without studying war, it's like a doctor not studying illness. And I think when you study war, that's when you can see through the illusions and through the myths, and that's where you can really see the true nature of war. Well, you know, in your book, um, you say that we need to develop skills that will help us solve our national and global problems. So what are these skills that we need to develop? Yeah, I think uh, I call them peace leadership skills, the ability to communicate, persuade people. If you look at every human problem, whether it's slavery or gender oppression or women's rights or uh, war or environmental destruction, genocide, all these problems come from how people think, and all progress comes from changing how people think. So today... If any American politician said that we should bring back slavery, bring back segregation, women shouldn't be able to vote or own property, people would look at him like he's insane. But 200 years ago, that's how virtually every American politician spoke, and that's how almost all Americans thought. And the reason you can't say that openly today is because people think differently than they thought 200 years ago. So we have to continue to change how people think about controversial issues such as war, environmental destruction, nuclear weapons, and continue to change how they think about women's rights, because there still has to be more progress made yeah, in that you area. You talk about a physical theory and a moral theory and how moral theory can be channeled to strike right. it injustice. What do you mean, Paul? Well, moral theory is basically your... If you look at every army in world history has a single greatest problem. The greatest problem of every army in world history is when a battle begins, how do you stop soldiers from retreating? If you look at our fight-or-flight response, our flight response is far more powerful than our fight response. And most people's natural reaction, when you try to stab them with a sword or shoot them with a rifle, most people's natural reaction is to run away as fast as they can, as far as they can. And this is how war functions. I mean, all the ancient armies knew that the purpose of the battle is to make the other army retreat. And that's where you inflict most of your casualties. You force the other army to retreat, and then as they're retreating, that's when you run them down with your cavalry and you inflict the majority of your casualties. And well, so, that's what we're doing in business today. I mean, that's really, it's the same kind of strategy. I hate to say it, but that's very similar to what people are doing. They're just doing it verbally and non-verbally. They're not doing it with weapons. Yeah, I think, though, when you do it with bladed weapons, it would add to a much different dynamic because people have this deep instinct to panic. I mean, there is nothing more terrifying on the planet than a human being running at you with a bladed weapon trying to stab you to death. I mean, that is the most, what Dave Grossman calls a universal human phobia. He says 98% of people have a phobic level reaction to human aggression directed at them. So if you look at, for example, car wrecks, every year in America, tens of thousands of people die in car wrecks, but every year in America, every day in America, millions of people drive casually to work. 
Every year in America, hundreds of thousands of people die from cigarette smoke, but every day in America, millions of people casually smoke. But if there is one serial killer in a town, the whole town panics, yeah, goes right. upside down. One terrorist attack, the whole the whole country goes haywire. I mean, look, we had one terrorist attack. Look how much our country has changed from just one attack. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that in terms of physical theory, what the Greeks and the Chinese, what all these ancient armies realized is the most effective way to get soldiers to not retreat off the battlefield is love between comrades, love of country, love of family. If you tell people that their loved ones are in danger, they will often fight to the death. And that's why armies have to build this camaraderie and brotherhood between soldiers, because when you have this bond of family between people, you're much less likely to retreat because your urge to protect your family member from danger is more powerful than your urge to retreat off the battlefield in most cases. Well, and I think then that gets into something else you talk about, Paul, which is hope. But you distinguish between naive hope and realistic hope. What's the difference? Well, naive hope is basically that everything will work itself out. It comes largely from a feeling of helplessness and powerlessness. So things are bad. Let's just pray and just hope for the best. Things will work itself out. Realistic hope is based off empowerment and the need to take action. So if you look at Martin Luther King Jr., or if you look at Gandhi, they didn't just pray. They prayed with their hands, they prayed with their feet, they prayed through action. They had to take action. And they had to take matters into their own hands and solve these problems through democratic action. So I think realistic hope is the empowerment you feel and the action that derives from that. All right. Now, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was the characteristics. I mean, you have written about characteristics that we have. Uh, you know, that you explain that we exercise our muscles, but we can also strengthen qualities within ourselves to create what you say is a peaceful resolution. That there are skills that we can use to understand and resolve conflicts. What are some of those skills? Well, there's seven different attributes I talk about. I talk about hope, empathy, appreciation, conscience, reason, discipline, and curiosity. And I compare all of these things to human faculties. And you have to strengthen these faculties just like you would strengthen the muscle. So, for example, we're born with an elementary capacity for empathy, but we have to strengthen our empathy through training, through practice, just like you have to strengthen the muscle. And if you don't strengthen that part of your humanity, it's going to atrophy and it's going to become weaker. Yeah. Yeah, and you talk about, I mean, those are one of the things you talk about. There are several um, of these characteristics. And as you said, one is hope, which I talk about a lot on my program because that's right. important. And uh, conscience. Conscience. Now, that that's a tough one. Explain conscience. Well, conscience is rather complex, but I think that there's a way to lay out what it means. And conscience, primarily, it's your ability to... Look at yourself honestly in the mirror. It's this human faculty that allows you to judge your own actions and how they affect other people. And that's a very important part of being human, and it's a very important part of having a healthy community. Because if you look at military history, I think people get military history very confused because most people haven't really in our culture studied it or what they know about it comes from Hollywood, but it's hard to control an army. If you look at Bullies, right? Bullies mm-hmm. are typically... Oh, and that's a big subject right now, Paul. Right. And, and bullies are typically several larger people beating up a smaller person. And you hardly, if ever, see a smaller person beating up several larger people. 
because that's not a very smart thing to do. If you're a smaller person, you try to beat up several large pe- larger people, they might beat you up or they might kill you. And that's why bullies typically go after very vulnerable people. So if you look at an ancient army and you have a military commander and he wants to bully his soldiers and you have let's say he wants to bully 10,000 soldiers and they're all trained how to kill people. I mean, they might end up killing him. Mm-hmm. And so one thing you find in military right. history a lot is when military commanders rely on bullying the soldiers, they, they end up killing their commander. So the military mm-hmm. history shows that to be an effective commander, you have to sacrifice for your subordinates, you have to put their well-being above your own. In the U.S. military, the highest-ranking soldiers eat uh, last, the lowest-ranking soldiers eat first. Mm-hmm. And that conscience can keep a community healthy and safe and connected, where if you treat people unfairly, it can really rip apart the community. Mm-hmm. But if you work off your conscience and treat people fairly, the community tends to be healthier as a whole. Right. You know, it's interesting that you would write this as, um, as a graduate of West Point, because, you know, serving in the Army for seven years, being deployed to Baghdad, I mean, you, were, you, you saw you were entrenched in the concept of war. What, um, what motivated you to write the book, Paul? I mostly tra- childhood trauma, and that's where it all came from. Is my father was in the Korean and Vietnam War, and he had a lot of trauma from the wars. And I grew up in a very house- violent household, and I think that was the initial catalyst. And then there were other life experiences that happened at West Point and in the Army, but the, the initial catalyst, though, was was childhood trauma. Mm. And yet, and yet, you went to a military school, so you right. kind of followed suit in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a variety of reasons. But you did it uh, differently. But you did it differently. And, you know, I, I have to say something about this. It's interesting. So many of the guests that I interview, probably 70 to 80% of the guests I interview, are, are, writing, are writing about what they truly believe in. Could you hear me? Yes. Yeah, and they're writing about what they truly believe in because of something that's happened to them. So if they're a survivor of abuse, they write about it. It's a pretty amazing uh, dynamic. And what's happened, in my opinion, just from listening to you, is that you turn this around. You kind of went in a similar path, yet you're changing it to say there's not only hope, but we can have conscience and we can look at peace. Yes, yes, that's a good point. Does that sound right? Yes. Good. All right. Well, well, let's look at some of these others. Let's look at um, reason and curiosity. Talk about curiosity in terms of a quality that we can develop. Um, it's basically our human capacity. It, it's this human faculty trying to understand, trying to know. Uh, it's a. I write about it pretty good detail, but it's um, this human capacity to know, to understand, and. Uh, part of what makes us human. Mm. And let's go to reason. Yeah, reason is basically, if you don't have reason, anybody can fool you. And so much of war happens from propaganda, deception, and the reason is that ability to overcome that. And in terms of, of all of that, you know, when we talk about reason just now, that also I think is tricky, Paul, because I might have a point of view that for me sounds very reasonable, and right. someone else could have the opposite point of view that isn't reasonable to us at all, but to them it is. Is that maybe where the conscience comes in? 
Well, I think that views can sound reasonable, but they can still be grossly incorrect. Mm -hmm. So to a slave owner, a slave owner might say, well, slaves are born to be slaves, and all these slaves are happy being slaves. They, They like it. I mean, my dog likes being a dog. My cat's happy being a cat. My sheep are happy being sheep. My slaves are happy being slaves. And, you know, these people are subhuman. They wouldn't know what to do with slave with freedom if you gave it to them. It, that'd be like letting my sheep and my cattle go. They would just go off and they get killed. They need my protection. Sure. But even though that sounds reasonable to them, it's based off a distorted understanding of human nature. It's based off a distorted amount of knowledge. And it's incorrect. It's not true that you have races of people that are born to be slaves and they're happy being slaves. The truth is that you have to use very cruel, harsh techniques to keep people in bondage. And another example, too, is somebody might say, well, you know, it's reasonable to me that women aren't intellectually equal to men. Women aren't smart enough to vote. Women aren't smart enough to own. I mean, 200 years ago in America, women couldn't vote or own property. Women couldn't go to college. And 200 years ago, it was very reasonable to most men that that's just how women are. Women aren't intellectually equal to men. And it was reasonable to them that if you let women vote, if you let women own property, society is going to collapse because women are going to make terrible decisions. But there is some objective truth that that is factually incorrect. I mean, it is biologically incorrect to say that women are intellectually inferior to men and that women don't have the intellectual capacity to vote their own property. Mm. So I think that a lot of things that sound reasonable, that's why reason is so important, because reason allows you to distinguish between what's fact and what's untruth. Yeah. There's another one you write about, Paul, um, that I, when I talk to so many authors, writers, experts, they talk about gratitude, and you've said the word appreciation. You write, it's a strong muscle of appreciation, allows us to savor the present moment. And that's really about gratitude, isn't it? Appreciating something. Yeah, it is. And how did you, how does that tie in? Do you think that every day we should look at what we've achieved or accomplished or what we're grateful for in our life? What has um, brought us I think it has a more practical value because when you really appreciate something, you really make the most of it. You don't take it for granted. And it'd be like when you get the flu and after you recover from the flu, you really appreciate your health because you kind of forgot how good it feels to be healthy. Or someone who almost dies or their loved one almost dies and they realize they should make the most of their life or show more love and compassion for their loved one. So if you appreciate something, you're going to make the most of it. You're going to utilize it to its full potential, and you're going to make the most out of life. And I think that you're also Mm -hmm. going to take care of it. And so a lot of what I talk about is appreciation. The highest expression of appreciation is stewardship, stewardship Mm -hmm. of your health. If you recover from the flu, you're more more likely going to think about taking care of your health. If you... You know, if you have appreciation for the planet, you're more likely to behave in a way that's going to be a steward of the environment. And so I think a lot of it is if you don't appreciate something, you're not going to behave like a responsible human being. the, The essence of being a responsible human being is appreciating something, realizing it's fragile, realizing it can be taken away from you, and therefore you have to take care of it, and you have to nurture it, and you have to be a steward of, of that thing. All right, so, Paul, we have a couple of minutes left. I would like you to kind of sum up what's your message in your book. And your book is Peaceful Revolution. And, and give us the subtitle of your book, please. 
uh, how we can create the future needed for humanity's survival. Mm, beautiful title, too. All right, how can people find it? Again, Peaceful Revolution. Um, I have a how website. we can create the future needed for humanity's survival. Go ahead. I, ha- I have a website, PeacefulRevolution.com. Again, that's PeacefulRevolution.com. Okay, all right. And can people write to you? Yeah, there, there's a link. They can send me an email uh, at that website. All right. So PeacefulRevolution.com. Closing thoughts. If you want, what's the one thing you want to make sure people get from this interview today on Peaceful Revolution Peace? I'd like people just to learn more about waging peace, learn more about these different concepts, and a lot's at stake. I mean, the world wasn't going to end if slavery wasn't abolished or if civil rights didn't happen or if women didn't get the right to vote. Although those were extremely critical issues. But the issues we're dealing with now, environmental destruction, nuclear weapons, war, these issues threaten human survival. So we have to act with utmost urgency in solving these problems. So I hope people will get more informed and learn more about waging peace and visit the website and stay in touch. Thank you so much for coming on the program, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right. uh, Yes, stay on on the line for a minute, Paul. Sure. All right, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy to support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. You can write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. And if you go to voiceamerica.com and look at my name, Patricia Raskin, uh, you will see the wonderful guests that we have on each week. And all of these guests are helping you turn your problems into solutions and your obstacles into opportunities. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.